0: The book of Numbers should be a warning to us because the book of Numbers should not be in the Bible. Hang on. Don't panic. It shouldn't be in the Bible because it shouldn't have been written. Hang on. Here's what I mean. They were going from slavery to the promised land. It's only a walk of a couple of weeks, really. You can can do that walk easily in a couple of weeks. It took them 40 years. Why? Because they went right up to the river to cross into the promised land. And God said, you cross there, I'll give it to you. You will have it. It'll be flowing with milk and honey. It'll be a wonderful place. And they looked over and saw the warriors. And they said, we don't think so. We're afraid that God is not going to provide for us. He's not going to keep his promises. And they backed off. And the book of Numbers is what happened to them in that 40 years when they should have been happy in the promised land. All of these stories were unnecessary. All of them. Had we just done what God wanted us to do. But they had to wait in the wilderness until the doubters died before they could move forward. Now think about what a damning statement that is. Waiting till the doubters die before you can move forward. At the end of the book of Numbers, by the way, they number the people of Israel. And guess what? The numbers are a lot less than they were at the first of the book. Because they died in the wilderness. A whole generation died in the wilderness. Because they were afraid and because they didn't believe God's promise so learn this lack of faith means lack of motion and lack of motion means lack of faith both of them a lack of motion or a lack of faith means death God does not intend for us to stay still he never gave that to us he gave us a movement today as in all days there are many voices competing for your attention I'm proud of you for being here. I really am. You had other, you had other places you could be. I happen to think this is the best place you could have been. But I know there were other voices, and I know there will be other voices throughout the day. Some, I, I, I've been told that there's there's something called a, a Titans game today. I don't know, uh, Titans were gigantic. Uh, God-like creatures in mythology. um, So good luck to them. Um, I know that your newspaper will be full of suggestions for you. TV will have full of uh, a lot of suggestions for you. They have advice on what you should wear, where you should go, what you should do, how much you should spend. Some of these voices are going to tell you that what is wrong is right and what is right is wrong. They're going to stand things on their head. I have nothing against the university at all. But it was just this last year that Vanderbilt decided that if you have a statement of faith in your organization, you can't be a campus organization there. And a lot of Christian groups were no longer official organizations there. And whenever they asked why, and in fact there were some suits over this as well, some lawsuits... The response came back, well, your statement of faith excludes people, and we don't want to exclude people. Because we don't want to exclude people, we're going to exclude you. The book of Numbers is a modern book. When people say what is right is wrong and what is wrong is right, we're right back into this. The most important things in your life are your relationship with, your, with God and your salvation. And you've got to trust the voice of God to lead you through. Not the voice of man. That's a message of numbers. When the people in this book listened to God, they did fine. When they listened to their own fears, they didn't do fine. When they listened to God, they were were secure. They were given blessing. Even when they weren't particularly happy at the moment, they saw light at the end of the tunnel. When they didn't listen to God and they listened to any other voice, when they allowed the situation to dictate to them how they should behave, they stumbled, they fell, and many died. It's the same today. Who are you listening to? And whose fault is it when we don't listen? There are a lot of car accidents. You might have been in a few. I hope not, but... If you've been in a few, it might be you. It's one of those rules, right? Um, if, if you've been dumped for 32 women, it could be you, right? And if you've had 32 accidents, that could be you. The um, Liberty Mutual even has a, a commercial now where the lady goes, she can't parallel park, and it's only a, number, a matter of time before I tear somebody's bumper off, but I've got this insurance. And I'm thinking, I wouldn't have put that if I was... if If I was one of their agents, I think I would call saying, "Uh, I'm not insuring her. (laughs) We, um, our cars work pretty good. It is almost never that a mechanical failure causes the car to crash. It's almost never that a mechanical failure causes a plane to crash. It's pilot error. It's operator error. It's not paying attention. It's not doing the procedure. Years ago, an Avianca jet, that's a South American airline, plowed right into the side of a mountain, killing everybody on board. They found the black box. And as they listened, they heard the warnings being given. It's an automatic warning. It's it's done computer style, but it's all done in English. The language of flying is English worldwide, saying, pull up, pull up. Ground collision, imminent, pull-up, low, too low altitude. And the pilots were laughing at it. And the last words on the black box were, Shut up, gringo. It wasn't the plane's fault. When I have trashed my life, it wasn't God's fault. When I have made horrific error and broken my word... Or, or either showed a poor character or developed one, it wasn't God's fault. It was because like those in Numbers, I didn't listen. But in Numbers, it's not the pilot's fault, it's the passenger's fault. The pilot's telling them where to go, what to do, and the passengers are saying, I don't really think so. We need to learn to move when God says move and stay when he says stay. Let me tell you an illustration here that came from a poor, grown-up poor. And I know there are some, I've met them, and they'll say, oh, we were poor when we were kids, but we didn't know it. Seriously? How unobservant can you be? We, we were poor, but we noticed. You know, laying in bed at night, looking at the stars, wishing you had a roof. We knew... <laughs> we were poor oh when you're when you're poor um, you can you can be afraid to move and afraid to do things and yet God steps up and says let's do this who are you more afraid of well you see our vacuum cleaner broke and my dad decided to fix it now my dad can actually fix things unlike me. I can't. I've tried. Um, Perhaps you saw it in the newspaper Um, because that's really where it's going to end up with, with fire engines and the like. But he fixed it for a while, worked on it, and he just had the motor, and he said, Patrick, hold this. I held it, and he plugged it in. Sparks went everywhere. I dropped it. He unplugged it. He said, why'd you drop it? I said, I was afraid of it. He said, Patrick, this is a very simple question. Which are you more afraid of, that or me? I picked it up. <laughs> <laughs> said, I'll be right up, Lord. Uh, I said that inside, because if I'd said it outside, he would have sent me. <laughs> I read the book of Numbers, and I see they looked across, and they saw the raging river, and they saw the great mighty warriors on the other side. And God says, go get them. Um, who are you going to believe? Who are you going to listen to? They listened to their own hearts, and it got them killed. Yet even then, God did not leave them alone in the wilderness. And when I've trashed my life, and when you've trashed your life, He did not leave you alone either. He stayed with you. In 1 Corinthians chapter five and verse seven, Jesus was the Passover Lamb that was with them in the wilderness. A, a broken, slaughtered lamb, First Corinthians five seven. Well, why would you why would you use that as an example of God being with you to show you that being in relationship with with us cost God? Have you ever thought what a hard job God has? Really, even if it's a simple thing, let's say you pray for rain. There's somebody here praying that it doesn't rain. And he loves you both. One of you is praying that you get that person to love you. Another person is praying for the same person. And you know what we're like in our dating years. You remember that, don't you? Put your mind way back there. If you can't remember it, think of a Lifetime movie. (laughs) Although none of them end well, so maybe not. where you prayed, oh, Lord, let this one be the one, and a couple weeks later you were saying, oh, Lord, smite them, smite them, Lord. You know, <laughs> It's not easy being God. It cost him his son, the Passover lamb. We often don't think about what God has to go through to be in a relationship with us. But it's a, it's a lot once you begin to think of it. And then there's the sacrifices outside the gate in Numbers chapter 19 verse 3, which according to Hebrews 13 and verse 12 were a forerunner of Jesus who would be sacrificed outside the gates of Jerusalem. Jesus was still with them in the sacrifices. And when the grumbling of the people grew too strong and God sent serpents among them saying, if they bite you, you will die, unless you turn to an image lifted up. Oh, we got to spend some time with this story, don't you think? If, if you read Numbers this week, you thought this was a weird story, didn't you? Please, because if you just read it and you didn't think it was weird, what's wrong with you? It's a strange story. Snakes are, are released, because God doesn't like gl- grumblers and complainers. He just doesn't. Read the Old Testament. It gets on his nerves. So he sends out the snakes. If the snakes bite you, they're fiery serpents. Doesn't mean they're on fire, it just means their bite uh, burns like fire. You will die unless, unless you go look at this image of a snake that he has Moses make and hold up. And if you go look at that, you live. Does anybody see problems with this story? There are only about a dozen. And they're pretty serious. So let's talk about this. This is a story of people rejecting the provision of God. Remember why the snakes came? They referred to the manna as that miserable bread. We're so tired of the miserable bread. We want something else. So God allowed them to receive something from the desert. That's what God does, by the way, He gives you a choice if you don't like what he gives you he will withdraw it and you're allowed to reject it but what the world offers you in turn is not going to be pleasant they didn't like what God gave him so he just let them have what the desert had the snakes complaining and discontent or habit forming they needed to be stopped or the people would never make it across the river in the marine corps uh... american marine corps um, officer training they have a rule and that is anytime you want to quit you can quit all through the training anytime in fact they'll remind you of this as you're struggling with your gear trying to get through a tube that they're filling with water and you are thinking you're choking and you're about to to die they'll lean in and say if you want to stop all you've got to do is say you can go home today but if they ever say, I quit, they're never allowed back in the program. And the reason is, as the officers will tell you, quitting and complaining becomes a habit. And they don't want anybody that will start it. With us, do we complain to God? Do we quit? Do we pull back from the river? It's a, it's a good question. By the way, the making of the snake, when you read this, it takes just a couple of minutes to read the story. Uh, unless you do like I do sometimes and walk away from it saying, seriously, that's a weird story, and try to get it in your head. But he told Moses to make a bronze serpent. That took a while. This would have taken place over weeks, not an afternoon. God was putting them through something. And it's very important we get this. They had to break a lot of the rules. They had to make an image. Don't make any graven image. Now God says make one. Then it has to be a snake. God doesn't seem to have a love relationship with snakes in the Bible, if you notice that. But now it's going to be a snake. And now you're going to put it up for people to come and look at it. All of these are against the rules that they had been given understand this. God can break the rules to make his point. God can change the rules like this, and it is not God being, I, I hear people say, he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Yes, he is, but the way he works isn't. Think of Peter, all of his life, been eating kosher. Then God just lowers down this sheet full of all kinds of food he's not allowed to have. And he says, eat. Peter goes, I won't. I'm too holy. And God says, I'm the one that tells what's holy, what isn't. If I say it's holy, it's holy. God can change the rules. God can move us forward. And has he not done that? Wasn't it, wasn't it Christians who led the fight against slavery? Wasn't it Christians that led the fight against the subjugation of women? Where would we get that? From a God that was not content, leaving us with rules over the first century, but rather kept his spirit among us, saying, this is no longer acceptable. We're going to change this. God says, move. God will move you, and it will make you uncomfortable. But remember this. Later, Jesus would tell a group of faithful Jews who had kept the law and kept themselves separated from all of the world, that if he, Jesus, were lifted up, remember the snake, he would save all those other people too. Look at uh, John chapter 3. Do we have that? Great. John chapter 3. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but to save the world through him. How offensive would this be to a first century Jew? All of their life they had kept the rules and God saying, do you remember when I lifted up the snake that was a hint that I don't really care if I offend you I'm gonna do what's right and I'm gonna lift up my son and all people will come not just you all people will come when we realize that God was changing the rules mid-game it should give you not confusion but hope it should give you a thrill. I asked a question on Facebook a few weeks ago. I said, the Bible says love your enemies. Here's a spiritual gut check. If you get to heaven and you find everybody made it, will that upset you? And it's amazing how many people said yes, it would. Because that means that the Bible was not true when it told me to live like this. And if I lived like that, bad things would happen. And I'm going, seriously? What if God decides to raise up something? What if God decides to change something and give love to somebody else? Is he allowed to do it? Is God allowed to make a brass serpent when he told us we couldn't? Yes. And what are we supposed to do? Move and go look at it. Remember what their problem was? They wouldn't move across the river. He goes, you're going to move. I'm going to make you move. You move or you die in the desert. We could go on. Uh, numbers. My voice won't go on, but I could. We, we could go on. The numbers tells a story of God's goodness and severity, and we need to remember the both. God is as good as He is severe, and as severe as He is good. You see, goodness and. The cloud that guided them, the manna, the quail that fed them, the, the water that refreshed them from time and time again, God's victories over Arad and Hormah, the, the conquest of Sion and Og. It's also seen in the cities of refuge. Great story there. The places of atonement and justice. But the severity of God is also seen here. And that's why he's valuable. Can we talk about this for a minute? Mamas, you are fantastic. That's why Mother's Day sermons are generally, we love mamas. And Father's Day sermons are are generally, guys, you need to do better. We love mamas. But you fight all day with those kids trying to get them to do something, and then dad walks in and goes, hey, and the kid does it. Why? Why? Well, the kid knows you love them. They, they think Dad does, but they're pretty sure Dad could do without them. And he's dangerous. That's his value. He's dangerous. We lived on a mountain in West Virginia for eight years. My son was small. And every so often we would get a call from our neighbor who was with the Department of Natural Resources saying, get your dogs in. There's been a bear spotted on the mountain. And This would be a lot better story if I'd ever seen one of the bears, but I hadn't. And so we got the dogs in. My son comes up to me after a bit and he goes, dad, there's a big bear out in the front yard. And I went, ooh. I went out and looked, it wasn't a big bear. It was a rabid dog. Big rabbit dog. And I said, son, you stay here. I'll go take care of it. And he grabbed a hold of me. Just a little guy. Grabbed a hold of the belt. And he said, dad, don't go out there. You could get hurt. And I leaned in and I said, son, this is the only reason the women keep us around. <laughs> <clears throat> this is our job. So if anything happens to me, you come get me. Yeah, and that comforted him. But uh, I'm I'm a shrink, so I was there for him. (coughs) Excuse me. Can't turn away from the mic when it's attached to your face. God, his severity is valuable. But have you seen what he's angry at in, in numbers? Complainers, those demanding more, racist. So what does he do? The death of those over 20. The defeat by the Amalekites. The rebellion led by Korah. And that was a great story, wasn't it? Get all these guys out there. We're taking over now, Moses. We're in charge here. And God tells Moses, just tell everybody, step aside from Korah. Everybody's kind of going. "Ah, It's a great story. Korah stands there with his men. And God just opens the earth, they fall in, he shuts it, meeting over. (laughs) He'd had enough complaints. You don't go against the Lord's anointed. So he is a God of love with an edge. That's what makes him valuable because he fights for us too. He clears our path as well. He's a God of love. And he gave the people in numbers every single chance possible, and he's given it to us too, has he not? And after all we've been through, we're alive. We're still here. We're still talking to each other. We have another chance. God gives us these chances. I don't ever want this book written again. I don't want God to have to write a book because he had to wait for the doubters to die in 2014. I want us to be able to say, let's let God lead where he wants to and don't tell him what his rules are. Let's keep moving forward without complaining, without grumbling, without mumbling, and without questioning the provision of God. What we have may not seem like much, but God can free the slaves with an 80-year-old shepherd and a stick. He can do a lot with us. We also need to remember this as we bring this up to a close. Mark, if you'd like to bring your, your team up if you're doing the team at the end. We need to remember this. Sin is tragic. Sin is evil. Adultery is not a little fling. It's not an affair. It's adultery. It's an affront to the living God. But we tend to put other words on it and make it sweeter nicer. Don't do that. Sin is tragic. There are consequences. But God brings us salvation. And it's up to him to locate it. He located it once in a bronze serpent. It is now in Jesus. And that's why the voice from heaven came saying, this is my beloved son. You listen to him. Amen.